Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Hey, Rev. Brad Garoon. That's my name, and I like the way you say it. <laughs> we got to change it up here once in a while, you know? I'm afraid of change. Are you really? No. I don't know. I like sometimes I just say stuff on here, and just want to see what you're going to reaction, what your reaction is going to be. It's usually pretty I, good. I like change and I don't like change, but usually when somebody says something like that to me, I go, "Change comes from within," and so I don't change how I react to things. <laughs> I don't like change in my pocket. It's noisy hate, and it's heavy. I hate that as well. But I do like burgers, and I want to know what kind of burgers you've been eating lately. Oh man, I had a particularly fantastic burger the other day. And of all places, East Rutherford, New Jersey. Uh, most people probably know East Rutherford because it's where the Jets and the Giants play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's now a defunct uh, a skiing resort or whatever that building is. Uh, but there is a an Irish pub called the Blarney Station Pub. It is directly across the street from the East Rutherford train station or the Rutherford train station. I have no idea how long it's been there. Uh, but I walked in and... I ordered a burger and it was great. And you know what my favorite part about it was? Mm. They had an you could either get regular bacon or you could get Irish bacon. And oh, I love Irish bacon. And they took it so far on their menu as to actually separate them out. So it wasn't like you could have this bacon or that bacon. It was here's the American bacon cheeseburger and here's the Irish bacon cheeseburger. Like they acknowledge that it is two different items. And for those of you who don't know, the difference with Irish bacon is it's from both the back and the belly meat, not just belly meat like we do here in America. And it's not smoked, it's just cured. So it has a different texture and it has a different flavor. But I love proper Irish pub burgers with proper Irish bacon. What's the difference between Irish bacon and Canadian bacon? Uh, Canadian bacon is more like ham. Oh. Fine. But I, I'm not a bacon expert other than I am really a fan. But pro- proper Irish-style pub burger, which I believe is a actual form of burger, like you might have a slider or a fast food burger, California-style or gourmet, whatever, chef-inspired. I believe that Irish pub style is an, is an actual form of burger. I would love to see an article by you about the proper Irish pub burger. <laughs> I think I put something on Schweiden Sons Instagram. Oh, really? Okay, I'll check that out. <laughs> How about you, Brad? Any good burgers lately? Um, yeah. Yesterday, I had a burger at a new place, cool place in on Madison Avenue, sorry, Fifth Avenue, called Uncle Sam's Burgers. Oh, I have been there. Mm. So you know. I got the Koreatown Burger. Mm. Let me explain a bit about it. It's uh, a Chinese franchise that has come to America to serve us East meets West style burgers. They're not the first place in New York to do this. Um, there used to be a joint called Social Eats um, in, in, uh, in the same area, actually. It's been closed for a couple of years now. That was doing Korean-style burgers. And uh, you can get a Thai burger down at Gum in the East Village. But this is the first, I think, fast, casual Asian-style burger place. They have American-style burgers, too. And they're good, man. I mean, the food is good. I got some loaded tots. They were great. I tried the chicken sandwich. It was good. But the Koreatown burger had a nice little kick. Good kimchi that that won't like scare away people who are uninitiated to things like kimchi, um, and and solid beef and uh, you know it was a, on a Martin's potato roll, just a good solid lunch burger. It's not that big, definitely more for lunch than for dinner, but um, I'm a little jealous of the crowd that gets to eat there at lunch on that in that part of town. 
Uh, I did like the burger there in particular, though. I was all about the like the loaded fries. Yeah, was, I got loaded tots. I mean, the loaded is loaded. What is it? It's like scallions and Sejuan chili and sriracha sauce, and I mean, it's a mouthful. It's definitely a mouthful. Yeah, they also they also make their own you know in house uh, sriracha potato chips, which are pretty good. Oh, I didn't get that. We 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 have to go back, Brad. What do you, what do you think? Do you think that Americans are ready for uh, you know Asian influenced fast casual hamburgers? Yes. I mean, I want to say, yeah, there weren't a ton of people in there when I went, but I think I also went on a kind of a weird time. Um, if they're not ready, then they're dorks and they should, this is the city to check it out, man. I mean, it's, it's essentially in or near Koreatown. They got to just get in there. Just give it a shot. You'll dig it. It's just like, how many times can you go to five guys? I like five guys as much as the next person, but how many times can you go get the same gigantic bag of fries? Uh, the answer is once a month, but, um, okay, I think I, I, for me it is, I, I think the five guys comparison is pretty good though, because it really came off as like that kind of style, but with this really crazy, you know, menu influence from, from another part of the world. Most definitely. There's a review of it up on burgerweekly.com right now. So check it out. And speaking of segueing people away from this conversation, uh, let, let's get into our interview today with Daniel Lemon. Uh, he's going to talk to us about the reputation industry. And yes, that is a, a real thing. All right, I want to welcome Daniel Lemon to the podcast today. He's the founder of One Good Brand. He's an independent consultant, a senior strategist at Convince and Convert, who uh, they have the podcast with Jay Bear that I'm a huge fan of, and it was a huge influence on this podcast. Uh, he's been on Fox News, CBS Radio. Uh, he's been in the New York Times, USA Today. Uh, Daniel has a new book out called Manipulated. It is a deep, deep dive into the online rating and review business and the effect it has on small and medium business owners. Uh, he even has a corresponding podcast. Daniel, what should a restaurant or bar owner do if they get a negative or fake review? Run for the hills. <laughs> <laughs> I love Iron Maiden. <laughs> I mean, the, the first thing I always say is don't panic. The, the truth is... It, that's the first thing people do is it's like, oh my God, this is going to be the end of my my situation, my end of my restaurant. No one's gonna no one's gonna want to come into this place after they read that. And and the truth is, I mean, there may be a, a hair of truth in that, but uh, the bigger the bigger thing is consumers are better than just one bad review. Uh, and by that I mean they when they they look at reviews about any business, they they kind of they take a pulse. And so that bad review, they, they sort of look at it in the context of the others. Like, well, you know what? Not every business is perfect every day. And so that's all right. It's more how does the business respond to it? What do they do with that? If they sort of take it in and say, really sorry, we'll do everything we can to fix that next time. Please come back. Uh, do they do, take that path or do they take the sort of the, the pissy, bitchy path where they come after you or... Uh, do they cut a different way and, and c kind of take the corporate? We're very sorry. Please call us one eight seven seven customer care and uh, and these kind of different uh, different resolutions. But the truth is, you know, the, the more human you look, the more likely to overlook it. And so it's it's kind of this mindfulness place. Like just don't panic. It's not going to be the end of the end of you if you treat it right. So. Per reviews online, we've we've heard a lot on this podcast in the last few weeks about malicious uh, reviews, either by competitors or by third parties, that are really out to get a business for one reason or another. Um, how do you think businesses should react to to those kinds of malicious attacks? I, uh, you know, it's crazy. I uh, I've got a bunch of case studies in my book, but just last week, actually, I th uh, or maybe in the week before, I was reading a, a 
an article in the, in the New York Times about this jewelry, jewelry store in New England. Uh, they're in like Burlington, Massachusetts, and I think there's five or six Long's Jewelers. And they got hit on their Facebook page by uh, a competitor who, who had hired all of these people to write fake reviews. They had like 200 one or two star reviews on their Facebook page overnight. And when they called Facebook, well, you don't actually call Facebook, but when they reached out to Facebook, they got kind of radio silence. Uh, and it, it actually took them enlisting the help of the New York Times to get an answer out of Facebook, which was ultimately they just removed them without any real comment. <laughs> and this is a very real issue. If people think, well, you know, trolls are everywhere, the the problem with it is no one polices it. So you're kind of up to your own. Up to, it's really up to the mercy of whoever is hosting that uh, platform, whether it's Yelp or uh, Facebook or whomever it might be. You're kind of up to the, their mercy to a degree, and they're not so likely to, to do something quickly. Uh, that's a, it's a very real problem, and I think part of it is there's just no real consequence for doing it in the first place. It's, it's easy to write a review. If you even need an email address, you, that's all you need. Uh, and so it's it's easy to do it, but it's not really any consequence if you do it. And so there there are people out there. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. That make money on writing fake reviews that are negative about other businesses. And you've done some some exploration of this. Am I correct? Yeah. No, there is. Is she? Uh, I, there's a young lady in my book. I call her Tina, which is not her real name, uh, but she actually writes mostly health and beauty reviews for. Uh, for hire on this website called Fiverr. And Amazon actually sued about 1,200 of these people on Fiverr and said, you know, you're you're making money off of our platform and you're adding no value to the ecosystem whatsoever. You're, you're basically profiting by writing all of these fake reviews. And it's true. She, she doesn't really see it, her role that way. She kind of has this strange ethical boundary that she, you know, when you, when you, sort of look at it as an outsider, you think, wow, she's clearly in the wrong, and yet when you hear her explain it, it's like, well, there's some shades of gray in there, maybe. Uh, she's, but she's making, she's making decent money, certainly, like five figures a year. How did you, and how did you find her? Uh, I went on, I actually went on Fiverr, and I was looking for, I was looking for people to tell their story, like, why do you do this? And, and you know, she has a background of and marketing, public relations. She studied, uh, I think, communications at, when she was in school. And I was like, why, why did you start doing this, of all things? Why didn't you, I don't know, start a blog? I, I don't know. You know what I mean? It, it, was, it was remarkably easy to find them. Uh, there were a, a couple of them I talked to. She was the one that was the most uh, sort of outspoken and willing to share her story. So I, I profiled her, and uh, it, it's really interesting. She did not end up getting sued by Amazon despite being one of the top uh, the top people on that site, Fiverr, she didn't end up getting hit by their lawsuit, which I thought was really kind of curious. In talking to her, was there any one item or story that really stuck out above the arrest? I'll tell you another. I'll actually tell you another story. A, a friend of, uh, of mine who uh, is going to be on my podcast very shortly, I think in a few weeks, I just did an interview with him. He, he has a, a gray hair blog. So all he blogs about is gray hair products. And he's actually at like the number one gray hair products blog on the internet. What's that blog? I think I need to check it out. Uh, it's called... I'll have to get it to you. I, if you Google gray hair shampoo, 
you, mm-hmm. I think it's like the number two link. It's a blog okay, spot. That's, I, that's I, about to become very important to me. I'm just glad to know that there's somebody out there counting the gray hair blogs and rating them as to who is the best and who is the worst. It's okay to be gray. It's okay to be gray. <laughs> <laughs> Back to your story, sorry. Yeah, well, he, so he he also kind of writes fake reviews, but his his whole his whole game plan and kind of business model isn't he doesn't sell the reviews. He he just wants the click path to Amazon. He's in the affiliates program. So if you happen onto his site and thousands of people do every month and you follow the link to Amazon and make a purchase, he gets uh, a few percent on like 6 or 7%. It's a pretty sizable amount. It's, so he's got kind of a different business models. People have the different ways of doing fake reviews uh, and different ways of profiting from it. It's, it's not really ever a problem that's ever going to go away. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't seem like it. Anyway, she, uh, the, back to the young lady in my book, she, she's kind of funny because she doesn't, she has kind of a specific clause, like she doesn't do porn and she doesn't do daycare providers and that's pretty much it. Like this is kind of the, her ethical boundaries are children and porn uh, and that's, that's sort of the area she doesn't go, go into, which I thought was kind of a odd way to draw the line. But, but she will do podcasts? She'll do anything else, yeah. She does a lot of health and beauty. Uh, I don't know. We could talk to her. <laughs> I, I don't know if you... Actually, I'm curious about her specifically and people on Fiverr in general. Have you found that um, a lot of people who are doing this are American or are they, are they international? Uh, she she is. She lives on the East Coast. A lot, Actually, the, the people I interviewed on Fiverr were... They were all in the U.S. There are plenty of people on Fiverr who are not. Uh, probably, I would say the vast majority of them are not. Uh, I, I actually think that just reflects our unwillingness to work for five dollars for a review. That's it's pretty hard work. I mean, that's a lot of even if someone else wrote it. Daniel, what kind of people are out there hiring people to write fake reviews? It's funny. So you assume it's trolls and and kind of like shadowy characters. Uh, and in truth, I think a lot of businesses. If, even though they might not admit it, there are probably a lot of businesses who have h- hired or in some way had uh, encouraged fake reviews. And they, they just kind of see it like, I have, to get, I have to get something up there, whether it's friends and family or I pay somebody to do it. Um, that, that jewelry store I was referring to, the one in uh, Massachusetts, Long's Jewelers, they, they actually sussed out and figured out it was their competitor. So they were they're being trolled by their biggest competitor locally, which is pretty horrifying. If you think, I mean, it's not a big town, right? It's not like New York. It's a smaller it's a smaller market, and they have to live with those. I mean, you have to live with each other. It's at the end of the day, it's like even if they are your competitor, that's a pretty fierce tactic to take, right? When I when I was growing up, my mother referred to that as the Hatfields and the McCoys. What what are can, do you have any stats that on the effect reviews like you know how much do people trust them how do they you know what does one star mean anything like that Yeah well it I do and it kind of it kind of reflects just a sorry state of affairs for our our broader culture I mean the, it, it looks depends what study you look at it's anywhere between eighty five and ninety five percent of consumers. Uh, looking at reviews. So when they're making any decision, whether it's a uh, restaurant or a local business or a uh, computer, anywhere between 85 and 95% of consumers look at reviews and and weigh them, which is pretty much everyone. Uh, 
And that doesn't really surprise me as much as the amount of consumers who say they trust those reviews, which is also in the high 80s, like 80-something percent, 88%, I think. What so when it? you think about it, what is the nature of trust? If they say, I trust reviews as much as I trust my friends and family, do you not love your friends and family, or do you just not trust them? <laughs> it's, it's a curious question. Well, none of my family likes hamburgers the way I do, but that's besides the point. Yeah. Um, I mean, is there not some sort of rationale uh, in thinking, well, you know, if the business is that popular, then they must be doing something right, so you can sort of trust that, like, crowd mentality, almost as, like, social proof? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, people, people will look at it kind of collectively and say, well, you know, I'm going to take the pulse of all those, those Yelp reviews and just... You take the good with the bad there, and I'm going to trust the the general outcome is that I'm going to trust kind of what the, they say. And if it's a three-and-a-half star, it's probably going to be about a three-and-a-half star, in my opinion. So I, I think that's the nature of trust. I mean, it's a curious. The, the issue of what is trust is, I think, part of that is maybe the, that research could be done more effectively. Um, because I, I don't think people trust reviews as much as their their mother, but... I don't know, maybe it's true. What about you, Brad? Do you do you trust Mama Groon or do you trust Yelp? My family has no idea what they're talking about. They're just <laughs> clueless, clueless Michigan people. Um, no offense to Michigan people. We're, we're Rev and I are both Michigan people. Uh, I'm uh, an Ohio and, person, so uh, there is a little bit of rivalry going on here. So I I, tr I trust you not at all then. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, I was going to apologize. We're going to have to end the podcast short today. <laughs> um. Do you think that, I don't know exactly how I want to ask this, is, do you think that reviews in general, do you think that they're causing, is, is there a way to argue that they're causing more harm than good for businesses just in a general sense? Yeah, yes and no. I, I think, well, the one answer is, yeah, I actually think the industry as a whole is creating a lot of chaos for businesses. The other side of that is whether there's chaos there or not, the truth is it's real customers. So this isn't like made-up customers who are new to your business. It's people who might have, I don't know, read about you in a newspaper or magazine or whatever 10 years ago. These, this is your real customer. So you, you kind of have to follow where they go and, and make yourself you know, uh, reasonably helpful in that context. So there, there's kind of two, two ways to answer that. And I don't know, for me as a business, there's kind of the theoretical way and then there's the, you know, pays my bills, gets me a check so I can go get bread at the end of the week kind of way. And, and you know, the, at the end of the day, the rubber meets the road, so your customers are on Yelp and these other platforms. So love it or hate it, you kind of have to deal with it. And that's, that's sort of the, the rationale that the businesses I saw doing this really successfully, that's kind of what they came to. It's like, you know, we don't love Yelp, but and we don't think Yelp loves us, but we love our customers, so whatever. We're just kind of we're gonna go with it and hope they go away at some point. In for for restaurants and restaurant reviews, is Yelp the the top review site out there, or is there are there other ones that people should be looking at? Yeah, I hear different things. I sir, I live in Los Angeles. Uh, certainly here, Yelp is huge. Uh, East Coast Yelp is is pretty huge, but there are I think different parts of the country. Maybe Yelp isn't quite as relevant. Uh, City Search still has some relevance. It, uh, some folks I've talked to get a lot of customers from City Search, which is kind of interesting. I haven't thought of that site in a long time, but you know, maybe a just a, a regional thing. 
Uh, TripAdvisor, I think, is growing its presence for restaurants in particular. Uh, it's becoming more authoritative. It, it's a little bit more holistic if you're doing trip planning. It may be more relevant to someone planning a trip than someone who lives in that city, but if you're going to Chicago, you're going to look at a hotel, you'll probably look at uh, attractions and restaurants on TripAdvisor. So th I think TripAdvisor is probably one I toss in the mix a lot because it, it can refer new customers to you. Uh, potentially. What about uh, Zagat and Facebook? Well, yeah, I mean, those are the classic ones. Uh, Zagat is, you know, that's that's like old school real reviews. That's uh, a good one for sure. I, d I don't know how much actual traffic Zagat drives through the front door. I, that's, a, that's a question that I haven't really heard answered in an, any convincing way, uh, particularly after you know, Yelp rose to fame. Uh, and Google, I mean, Google's the 800-pound gorilla for everyone in just about every category. So if, if you don't, if you're not reflected well on Google, you're kind of not, you're, you're missing a big part of the playbook there. In fact, an interesting stat is Yelp gets three-quarters of its monthly uh, uh, site volume, site traffic from Google. Uh, well, just on the topic of Yelp, I'm sure you get asked this a lot lately, but you know, South Park a few weeks ago did this big uh, show about Yelp in which they sort of brought to light the fact that um, restaurants in particular really have to cater to to Yelp reviewers um, and one of the ways that a lot of people advise restaurant owners to deal with bad reviews is to, you know, ask people how they can how they can make it right and a lot of the time that comes with maybe a free meal or a discount um, uh, do you have you noticed this trend happening more and more with restaurant owners sort of having a kowtow to Yelp reviewers? Yeah, to a degree. I yes. I mean, I think I think businesses are really frustrated by Yelp reviewers. Uh, the funny thing with that episode, if you listen to it backwards, uh, it it tells a whole different story. I'm just <laughs> I mean, it's a cathartic. That episode is cathartic. I have to say, they compare Yelpers to ISIS terrorists, and if you're in, you know a business that's ever had frustrations with it, it definitely feels cathartic. Right, but also ninjas, which is just cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they build you up and they take you down. I'd be curious. Somebody has to have done a study out there that says which of these sites drives the most traffic into a restaurant or to their website or something like that. I'd be curious to see that info. Yeah, I mean, Yelp definitely drives a lot. You know, whether it's number one or number two, it's, it's going to be up there no matter if you're a local business, it's going to be up there for sure. Daniel, what is, a, what is the best way for a small restaurant or bar owner to organize themselves around reputation management? I think the first, the first thing is to recognize that and really internalize the fact that your, your customers, either current or prospective, they are on those platforms, and therefore you need to kind of think about them seriously. And even if you dislike Yelp, as so many businesses do, uh, and there are good reasons to. You you still need to see it as an opportunity to to kind of engage with your your customers, new or existing or prospective. Uh, the other is to not take the stuff they they say about you personally, because I mean people just people can just be awful, right? I mean that's uh, people can be horrible and mean, and uh, that's going to happen. And any business will tell you that's happened to me. That's happened to Every business I interviewed for the book, people can be mean, and that's that's just the nature of being in business. 
you're kind of putting yourself out there. So don't don't take those things personally and kind of make make the management of your reviews a daily habit. The more the more people see that you're engaged as a business, the more they will be likely to review you. They they know if they know you're listening, they know you care, they're going to be more likely to leave your reviews. Um, there's a, a pizza place I really love here locally. They just opened a new a new uh, location, and the the business owner there he is just so habitual about answering uh, people's reviews. And it's a pizza place. I mean, it's pretty high volume, you know. But he every almost every answer he gives, it's got it's a little bit personalized. You can tell he actually read the review, and and it's it's good to see that I actually reviewed him recently. Uh, because I I just kind of wanted to add my my weight to and support him. He he really deserves it. He's kind of you know an underdog so to speak. So you know customers will will lift you up if you give them an excuse to, but they'll also take you down if you give them an excuse to. That's kind of the thing I've come to learn. I'm wondering and I'm wondering out loud here because I used to own a couple bars. If it's more advantageous for a small restaurant and bar owner to spend the few free minutes of their time working on their reputation management than it would be, say, updating their Twitter? Well, I, I would say if you've got five minutes, I would probably vote on reviews and reputation management. That'd be my vote. Unless I had compelling evidence otherwise, uh, that's what I would do. How about you? I mean, would... Well, I'm, th I'm thinking about it now. I, I don't own the bar anymore, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do, I do, I do. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad to be out of that business. It was super fun, but I'm out. Um, but uh, the amount of traffic that we saw driving to our website from Yelp was bigger than almost any other source, and yet we agonized over what are we going to put on social media today. So you know, I'm glad to hear you say that. I'm sure the listeners will appreciate that. Like, hey, you know, if you're prioritizing Facebook, which we all know is pushing the algorithm into the basement, you know, if you post something to one customer on Yelp and you make their day or TripAdvisor or whatever or even even a Facebook review, that one customer could speak louder than the nine people that might like see your Facebook post. And they're probably then more likely to share it. That's exactly, that's really, that's a good summary of it. I mean, you're, it's an enduring thing that will, it'll sit there for a while, much more so than your Facebook post, which may be seen by nobody. Maybe we need to start a Yelp page for the podcast. Oh, that's besides the point. Daniel, is, there, is, is there a way a business owner can easily monitor reviews from multiple websites or even monitor or manage? Yeah, there, there are different companies that do it. Uh, some are specific to the restaurant business. Uh, some are a little more general. Uh, review trackers is one that I looked at, uh, and I think they're pretty good. Uh, there's another one, uh, at Review Push. Uh, um, Yext, if you are familiar with Yext, they do, they actually do a variety of different digital stuff, including local listings. Some part of what they do is reviews. We had uh, we had Christian from Yext on the show a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah, so there the different ways of doing it, and of course there's the old kind of elbow grease where you just do it yourself, and there's nothing wrong with that approach. It takes more time, but there's nothing really wrong with that approach. Daniel, what should a business owner do when they get a positive review? Show it off. Show it off. That I mean, that is a great way to promote how much you love your customers to say thank you publicly, both on the actual review, but then show it off and post it on Facebook, post it on Twitter, and you know let other people know that they're in, to some degree in good company. We like to we like to frequent businesses that 
other people love too, and that's that's part of it, I think. So show it off. I guess you know, if you're making one person happy at a time, that's really how you build a brick by brick business, right? That's right. Awesome. Well, Daniel, this has been really, really informative, uh, and, and you know, I think we probably only really touched the tip of the iceberg here. Um, we're going to segue to the uh, how we we get to the end of the podcast, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about your book here. We start that question off with Daniel. What is your favorite burger from childhood? My favorite burger from childhood. Should I say White Castle? No. <laughs> I have no problem with that. You definitely should. You did. Yeah, we're we, big we, Castle fans. We'll yeah. stand up for that. Well, I I was always big fan a big fan of Wendy's. Uh, it's a local uh, Ohio company, which was a big deal where I grew up. It's like hey, it's from here. <laughs> There's actually my 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 actual favorite childhood hamburger is the restaurant. It's in Lima, Ohio. That Wendy's is based on the the kind of model of that restaurant is called Cupy. And it's not a place you want to go eat now. It's it's gone it's gone downhill. But uh, the story was that Wendy's, the the founder of it, Dave, he went to Cupy and loved it so much he started Wendy's. Uh, so, but anyway, Cupy Cupy at the time was just superb, local meat, perfectly cooked bun, is delicious. I'll say this: I've never been to a Cupy. There is one that still exists in my college town. And I go visit my college town every winter. And every winter, I ask my friends, can we please go to QP? Can we please go to QP? And they never say yes. I wouldn't advise it. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but going back to White Castle for just a second, I will tell you what big of fans uh, we are here of White Castle on the podcast. I did my Thanksgiving turkey this year with White Castle stuffing. What? That's crazy. Yeah, 15 White Castle burgers, some chicken stock, spices. You shred up the burgers, you shove it in the bird, and then you bake it. What? That yeah, is we, not a turducken. That is, I don't know what you call that. What White Castle stuffing. White Castle bird. Daniel, what's your favorite burger, or the best burger that you've had recently? Oh, best burger I have had recently. Uh, I, I'm actually a big fan of In-N-Out. And it's, it's clean, classic burger. Uh, it's always good. And you know it's not necessarily the highest concept burger, but they do it, what they do. They do really well. So I, I just had one uh, over Thanksgiving, actually a couple over Thanksgiving. Did you leave a review or a rating? Not really. They don't need my help at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, all right. Last question. What is the one piece of advice you would give to someone in the food marketing business? Uh, I would say f- f- stay close to your customer. Kind of follow them. Uh, not literally, that's kind of creepy, but follow follow what they're doing, particularly online. It's easier and easier to figure that out. And just really stay close to them. So if you've got a bunch of customers on Facebook, be there too. And it, it's just a great way to kind of keep involved with them. And uh, certainly it's an easier uh, thing to do than, than uh, a lot of other marketing kind of ideas or methods. So I, I think following and staying close to your customers is really, really important ultimately they're the ones who sustain you, right? I love that because when you own a local bar or restaurant business, you know, one customer can really, really make the difference of a, of a really crappy Monday night and a really awesome Monday night. One customer really can make the difference. And the, the thing about it is it's really hard for a competitor to out-service you. If you just, if you just love, your, love your customers and kind of that's, your, that's what sets you apart, it's not price, Quality, you know, quality that maybe they could match, but service is tough. That's a tough one to, to to surpass. So, 
you know, I think we're moving into an era where service is going to become everything, whether it's your dentist or your uh, meat purveyor, basically anyone, it's all about service. I read an article on that that said exactly that just the other day. Daniel, this has been really, really insightful and really, really helpful, and I think some of our listeners would really, really like to know more about you and your book. Uh, where can they find out more about you and Manipulated? Yeah, Newton, you bet. So uh, they can uh, pop over to the website. It's Manipulated with an R, Manipulated.com. There's uh, tons of stuff there, uh, blog posts. Just started a podcast myself, uh, so that will be something that we're, I'll be growing, adding more stuff to. So there's a bunch of free stuff there. They can also, of course, check out the book, which is on Amazon and everywhere else. Dan, it's been a real, real pleasure. Thank you so much for, uh, for, for coming on the show today and giving out some great information. Very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.